my friends, the great experiment. Donald the Lord, thanks, thanks. Hidden trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick, trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. We're here on this special occasion to talk about the season finale of uh, Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3. Yeah, and if you're hearing this on the day of the drop, (laughs) it's Thursday. Yeah, thanks for uh, not dropping Greatest Trek and letting Greatest Trek Why are we even doing it like this? We're doing it because there's overlap between Greatest Trek and Prodigy. Because there's a new episode of Prodigy out today, too. But we'll review that on our normal Tuesday episode next week. We will. Yeah. So There was a debate. Do we review both episodes in one big super episode, or do we split them up? Hell no. (laughs) Every episode deserves its own episode. I agree with that. I think that, like... We've done like two animated series episodes in one mm-hmm. podcast episode in the past, which those are a little lighter on content, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I feel like instead of more episode, there should just be more us. Like what we're going through. Mm, the yeah. stories of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. People really want to know that stuff. They definitely aren't annoyed by it at all. <laughs> I'm At this point, I'm just only a C story in my life like there's no a or b story going on it's just background c (laughs) yeah i'm starting to feel that way a little bit yeah yeah the uh the real story my wife and son i'm just also here (laughs) (laughs) you're important to me ben oh thanks and dozens of other people yeah it's a cadre of dozens yeah really is (laughs) miriam dozens hmm Cadre is a good word. Yeah. What does that come from? <laughs> Cadre. Cadre. What, like, what's the... Is it, it sounds like padre. Wildcat was written in a kind of obsolete vernacular. Vamanos, cadre, he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As he grabbed the worn and flinted horse strap and they rode together in the friscolating dusk light. You got a mind like a steel trap, my friend. <laughs> you remember just, that scene flawlessly. I just want to hear those that dialogue in my voice played over the top of each other <laughs> to hear how awful it is. The crickets and the rust beetles scuttled among the nettles of the sage thicket. Vamanos, cadre, he said, as he grabbed the worn and flinted horse strap and they they rode rode together in the friscolating dusk light. That's like the spoken word equivalent of the brown note. Like the the dissonance (laughs) is so bad that (laughs) that just people slam the podcast. I thought that this was going to be good that there was an extra episode this week. It's like uh, it's like playing two sound files mirrored like it just goes away completely. <laughs> it's just dead air for 10 seconds. <laughs> I think Wendy is a talented enough producer that she'll figure out some way to make it sound like something. God, she always does. Boy, Adam, I, I don't have a lot to talk about today. I just kind of want to jump right in. How do you feel about that? 
let's not just wade in like Ooh. a slow poke until the water gets up to our our trunks and then our nerts and then our and then the the waistband yeah. and then the chest and then the the face and the hair let's jump in yeah in our trunks trunks that we yeah that we uh, definitely made after what was that the is that episode called nemesis i think it is yeah yeah it yeah. <laughs> was a good episode sharper to blend with the trunks there's got to be swim trunk options available with our with our store partners right could we just actually make trunks trunks yeah let's let's put trunks trunks in podshop.biz podshop.biz and see if anybody buys trunks trunks here's the thing about trunks trunks not even a passing reference to Star Trek or our show. No. The pattern is trunks. It says trunks, trunks on the butt in like yellow serif font. Can I ask you a question? And I'm almost embarrassed <laughs> to double check this with you. But is the trunk you're thinking of as the pattern for trunks, trunks? Are we talking about a vehicle trunk or are we talking about like a dresser wardrobe, like trunk, like steamer trunk? <laughs> Oh trunk. wow! I was just I was just picturing tree trunks, but oh my god, there's a third trunk. Maybe we should do what the fuck? <laughs> That's like the most obvious trunk there is, and I didn't think of it first. That's like the trunk they're talking about in the show. God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I think what we should do is kind of a pen and pixel style, like rap album cover, just bad Photoshop of all the different types of trunks. In a pattern. Like a No Limit Records. Yeah, yeah. The thing about the wooden trunks that you're referring to is that it's too dickish. <laughs> like if you're wearing trunks trunks and it's like wood. Yeah. I think that's too much like a uh, a, a Big Johnson's situation. I think there's a tasteful way to do it. I think we could figure out a way. Maybe the trunks are on their sides and there's like a giant like fern Mm. Uh, surrounding the the tipped over trunk, right? Yeah, or or maybe like the trunk has been hewn so short, and then the fern kind of obscures it. Yeah, some more of a micro trunk situation. <laughs> or maybe the trunk is like an average size, but there's like a curious bend to it. Mm, yeah, that suddenly you see a lot of commercials about fixing like you never really knew how much of a problem it was generally <laughs> yeah. until you just see commercial after commercial for fixing a bend in your trunk yeah and then you like take a screenshot of that and put it on twitter and go like why am i getting served all these ads about fixing the bend in my trunk and everybody makes fun of you because they're like that's because of you're obviously searching for <laughs> what to do about the bend in your trunk all right <laughs> I'm just picturing like a picture of tree trunks where you don't see the tops or the bottom. So it's just, it's just the verticality of the tree trunks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's an all over print. I'm closing my eyes. The, the friends of DeSoto watching at home can see this. And then on the butt, it says trunk trunks or tr should it say trunks trunks? I think trunks trunks is better. I don't think I want to tell people what the joke is. Here's a, Here's an alt. Can I just note you for a second? Okay. I love the idea. Could I just say juicy on the butt? Of the trunks, like running through the, like if we're calling these these swim trunks the frame of the image, right. the trunks running through them. Right. Love that. But what if a car has crashed into one of the trunks <laughs> and because of the force of the impact, mm. its trunk has opened up. 
Wow. And, and inside that <laughs> trunk, can you guess what's inside? A, a steamer trunk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty solid business. Um, yeah. It's going to be more expensive because I was just thinking about like pulling something off of Getty Images. But in this scenario, we're going to have to get a car and a steamer trunk and go crash it in a forest and take a picture of it. We have a lot of talented artists who I think could make this image possible. It's true. Yeah. Maybe maybe the car was swerving to avoid an elephant. <laughs> what do you think of that? Wow, yeah. But the elephant is off screen, so all you see is the elephant's trunk. Right, right. That the car That's, was was going to avoid. I mean, I would swerve to avoid hitting an elephant. I mean, you hear people fuck their cars up hitting deer. Imagine what would happen if you hit an elephant. God. And then so the, much the blood. bitter irony of hitting a tree. And the thing about the elephants is they they grieve their fallen comrades. Mm, yeah, they get so very sad. sad. Anyways, do you want to talk about this episode of Lower Decks? <laughs> ben, it's the season finale. I can't believe it. I've begun to grieve the end of season three. It's season three, episode ten. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. Our cold open is a very sad ransom. Yeah. Recording. Kind of the follow-up to the Breen attack. The Cerritos is in a starbase being repaired. Douglas Station, the starbase, really. Yeah. I shouldn't have diminished it by just calling it a starbase. <laughs> it really looks like shit compared to the way it looked at the start of last week's episode. And uh, you know what sucks about this setting, though, also is that the Cerritos is looking its worst, but inside the starbase are all of these Texas class ships and they're just staring at them. Yeah. Like there's an audience for this <sighs> and the Texas classes are all like new and gleaming and stuff. Very humiliating. It's like needing to, like, you're doing a book report in front of class and your face is just covered in acne. Yeah, yeah. You, it's a bad face day. Mm-hmm. That's what the Cerritos has. Yeah, and uh, and the and the Texas class just seem to be, like, effortlessly hot, you know? How do they do it? It's like, you never see them working out. No. They have, like, expensive clothes and good hair. I know. Clear complexions. What the fuck? Yeah. They transfer schools and they're doing fine. Like picking up friends left and right. Yeah. What is their secret? I don't know. (laughs) Freeman is back at Starfleet Command kind of answering for what happened. And she's in a very Star Trek Six looking conference room. Yeah. This is the conference room where the Admiralty chews you out. Yeah. Disappointment? is an understatement, Captain Freeman. And springs surprises on you. I must protest. These lights are very specific desk lamps, and I really want one of these. Yeah. There's that, like, Star Trek design Instagram account that tells you, like, what 70s Italian furniture company made whatever chair you see in These are so specific, these desk lamps, and everyone gets one at these meetings. I know. I need a desk lamp. I don't have a lamp. Yeah. I got a desk. I got no lamp. Who designed this conference room? This fucking conference room. Man. No overhead lights. It's so sinister looking. You get a desk lamp. (laughs) You get a desk lamp. (laughs) 
Do you think uh, like a bar where there's regulars and plaques on the bar, do you think there's like Admiral Cartwright's old? Old desk lamp? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, they engrave the desk lamp itself. Yeah. Yeah, they they might have like and ground it, Admiral Cartwright's name off of his desk lamp after you go to turn it on and it double crosses you later. Like, <laughs> like you walk, you go back home and and the desk lamp is fucking your partner. <laughs> <laughs> desk lamp, what the fuck? Oh, you're home early. <laughs> oh, and you're totally getting her off. <laughs> <laughs> she never let me do it there. <laughs> yeah, so the the bad news that Carol Freeman is getting is that the Cali class, broadly speaking, are being decommissioned yeah. and uh, replaced with the Texas class. These are automated ships that can do the work of the pathetic California class ships and uh, use way less resources to do it. This would undo centuries of progress. Captain, I'm sorry, but the council has decided to take Admiral Buenamigo's advice and shutter the California class. Two things are happening here, right? There's the scandal of what happened against the Breen and needing to be saved by this new class of ship. But Freeman's defenses are also removed in an argument because of what happened in the press. Right. Like she's the captain of a ship that has been humiliated in a couple of different ways. And so anything she does to stick up for herself is weak. It doesn't work. Yeah. There was something I really liked about the way this unfolds, which is that like the Admiralty has been given like sort of a false choice by Buen Amigo, mm -hmm. like continue with these bad ships or do my new good ships. One California class does not represent the entire class of ships. It seems like we need all the ships still. Yeah. For stuff. Right. But like they're like too dumb to to see that for what it is or something. It may be the distinction between the California class as a ship and the California class as a program. Right. Because those terms are used kind of interchangeably in this argument. And I think I could see a world where like the ships exist, but they aren't doing the program of second contact the way the California class was created to do. Right. So news of all of this has reached the Cerritos via Hans the Towel Guy. <gasps> the Gossip King? He's never been wrong! The betas are talking about this and what a drag it is. And pretty soon the betas are kind of like dealing with the advent of bad news by engaging with it comedically. Something that you and I are very familiar with. Yeah. And uh, Boimler is doing his impressions of all of the upper deckers. Jack Quaid... Doing a great job, I yeah. should add. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, his his impression of Shaxx goes on a little long, long enough for Shaxx to walk in behind him. Is that what oh. I sound like to you? Lieutenant Shaxx, no. Oh, I man. As a person who has had this happen to him in real life, where I was dragging a college roommate who I thought had left the dorm, was standing right behind me. Oh, <laughs> It gives me the willies every time I see this. It's like such a trope in film and television. Yeah. Yeah. In real life, it's not fun. <laughs> I mean, the way that Shax takes this, he's clearly one of those big dudes with big hearts. Mm. But I guess I'm just a big jump to you. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Uh... He projects that tough Bajoranness that we've seen so many times. Yeah. Like the Bajorans... The badasses. 
Right. That we've seen over and over again. Bloodthirsty, aggressive. He's a real shikar type. Yeah. <laughs> this whole thing is probably just inside my head. He gets upset at Boimler, but when he turns around, you see how affected he is. Yeah. He really got his fifis hurt. Man. And uh, he kind of storms off uh, with a tear running down his cheek. And uh, you hate to see it. Boimler chases after him. He can't have... I mean, this is relatable, right? Neither of us can tolerate anyone being mad at us. No. <laughs> and Boimler makes it his mission not to have a bridge person mad at him specifically. This is a career-limiting move if he allows it to happen. That's going to be a thing that Boimler is worried about all episode. We also check in on Mariner. I loved the Indiana Jones music cue. There's the speculation. I'm sure Mariner's having a bad time also. <laughs> and uh, we cut to Mariner like... Mama! Swinging on ropes and stealing a golden idol from a tomb. Getting uh, chased by Ferengis. Yeah, I've got a question. <laughs> In Lower Deck Season 3, Episode 10, The Stars at Night. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> I went a little... You know, you ever do a karaoke and you, you pitch it up an octave too high? Go for an octave that you don't actually have. Yeah, yeah kind of went too high on that. Anyway, are you drawing an intentional equivalence between the Nazis and the Ferengi? Hmm. I'll take my answer across this cavernous <laughs> room. Like, like, I thought I sounded pretty good when I was singing the Texas song. The, uh, the octave mistake notwithstanding. But, mm -hmm. like, I, the acoustics in here sounded pretty good. Get a light. Yeah. Hmm. Wasn't it like that French guy that was chasing him in the... Balloud. Balloud. Yeah. Yeah. But he was in league with the Nazis. He was. Somebody called me out for mispronouncing Nazis the other day on a podcast. The idea that anyone would call us out for mispronouncing anything, I think says a lot about them. Yeah. <laughs> Our pronunciation waters are so muddy. Yeah. Have you heard the show? <laughs> Who knows how you say anything anymore based on listening to this show? She uh, gets back to Petra up there on the ship after, you know, being beamed out right at the last possible moment. And uh, they've got their golden idol. They're going to go deliver it to a museum. This is not... It belongs in a museum? It, it literally belongs in a museum. Yeah. And uh, they're not going to let Ferengis steal it and sell it. But she is curious about the financing of this whole operation that Petra has going on. She's like, oh yeah, who's footing the bill for all this? It has to cost like a fortune. Mariner refers to the back of the ship behind the door, an area of the ship we never see. But from the exterior, you know is there. Yeah. It's a, a bit like the runabouts in DS9. Like, you see the back of the runabout in a TNG episode. You never see it in a Deep Space Nine episode. We're finally going to see the back of Petra Aberdeen's ship, and it's going to be a long conference table and a bowl of fruit in the middle, mm. because that's how all these ships are designed. <laughs> Maybe outside of Starfleet, they do it a little different. If you have a ship with a conference table in the back, you shouldn't need to go to conferences. Yeah, you could just have them right there. I know. But needless to say, Petra Aberdeen's ship can really throw it back. Yeah. And uh, they're uh, off to their next adventure or off to like deliver this via some more adventures, right? Like there's some, yeah. they can get some mummies along the way. 
<laughs> Mariner is totally jacked here from like that new job euphoria. Yeah. But also finally working for an authority figure where like the best managers dictate what and not how. And this is something that Mariner articulates here. She's like, I love working for you because I get to be me. Like I get the job done, but I do it my way. Yeah. You know, the best part of this gig is that you never get pissed off. Thanks for letting me do my thing. That is, has not been her experience traditionally in Starfleet. And uh, it's a great contrast. Speaking of conferences, Adam, the conference at Starfleet Command is still going on. Not a lot of food in this conference room for how long yeah. it's running. Yeah, you want there to be like a table set up in the corner with the urn of tea and the, you know, light snackables. I think it explains how chippy things are going here in the meeting also. This is his vanity project, not mine. Yeah, Freeman finally kind of sticks up for herself more vociferously. She's like, listen, you, you're you talking about commissioning these fucking Texas-class ships like we've seen one in action once and it was like suspiciously well suited to that in mm-hmm. a way. Why don't we actually test them in a real world mission race? Like see if they can do better than a Cali class. Yeah. Like, what it's do you good think? at battle. That's not what Cali class does. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we see how good it is at second contact? If your drones really are better than my crew, then it should be easy. And the admirals see the, the wisdom in this to their credit. Yeah. These aren't just bad Starfleet admirals. They're like morally complicated Starfleet admirals. Not all admirals. Yeah. So this is going to be a race. It's going to be a competition. And, uh, you know, it's for the whole Cali class. You know, it's not just for the pride of the Cerritos. It's for the whole core. If you thought Freeman was intense with the department heads before the reporter arrived, (laughs) try to imagine the intensity placed on the department heads just before this second contact race. All the departments have to snap into action here. We're doing what? A second contact race. What even is that? I made it up on the spot. She's really like Gene Hackmaning them, like doing drills when there's a fire in the galley kind of energy. Yeah. We cut around. We see like what the prep looks like in the various departments. Billups is getting everybody ready in the engine room. We get a, a moment with Rutherford being like mildly distracted by something on his iPad while this is going on. We kind of blow past it so that mm-hmm. we can get Ransom schooling everybody on how to sit in the chair like a commander. Yeah. Command that chair. That's important stuff. Yeah. That's something that a drone ship wouldn't know how to do. No. And before we know it, we're like on the starting line and the Cerritos and the Alito are like right next to each other and they get the go ahead to start the competition and the fucking Cerritos warps off and uh, Buen Amigo slows his roll. He does not start his drone ship up. Let's make this interesting. Give them a head start. He lights a cigar. Yeah. Smug as fuck. That is one smug cigar. Yeah. There aren't enough contest episodes in Star Trek, are there? I like a contest episode. There's something about how the ships are placed in space that reminded me of that uh, Enterprise D versus Hathaway. Yeah, the war uh, games simulation. episode. <laughs> yeah, the, the countdown to that beginning. That was so much fun. 
in its brand of intensity. And that and there's a little bit of that baked into this moment. Like, all right, we're about to do this thing. Yeah. Stakes are high. And also like one side being so confident in their superiority over yeah. the other. So it seems like second contact mainly involves like dropping off like power generators and uh, observation posts and stuff. Yeah. So like the first place they stop, they're, you know, assembling a power generator and they discover that the Alito can just beam a fully functioning generator down mm-hmm. without even breaking orbit. And yeah. uh, that's pretty frustrating. It means they're already kind of behind the eight ball. It's frustrating, but it's also terrifying because the Alito seems to beam it down a couple of inches above the ground and then gravity drops it. <laughs> <laughs> After that, yeah. like no one brings up how dangerous that is. Yeah. Also, uh, Rutherford, get your head in the game, man. Also, the ship really blindsides a lot of people with a legal decision that I guess everyone in Starfleet should have seen coming. Yeah. But as soon as it gets some sort of majority in terms of how many of its type of ship <laughs> are in the fleet, like makes this this crazy pronouncement, like something leaks. Mm. And then you think there's no way this is actually going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. You would think that after the outcry from the leak. Yeah. But no. They don't care. Do you think they intentionally named the ship that phonetically? I don't know. Because we, it's all I can think about whenever that the name of the ship is said. I know. Like the, the other two are the Dallas and the Corpus Christi, which are names of places yeah. in Texas I actually recognize. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that there was an Alito, Texas. Yeah. Maybe there shouldn't be anymore. Bring down the monuments. <laughs> 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 the second planet they go to, LT-358, is a supposedly lifeless planet that they're going to start terraforming, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's a rock. No indigenous life. And they're down on the planet building a uh, an outpost that looks very much like the one in the we discovered a blinking light down a hole episode. Tendi finds some microbes down there and, and she starts communicating with them and the microbes are pissed. Yeah. And Tendi's like, when Kirk dropped you on LT-357, <laughs> you had a fighting chance. You had a way of life. You could have made it. And in her uh, microscope, the molecules form, this is LT-358. <laughs> This really slows things down, right? Because this is like the main thing about Starfleet. You don't want to accidentally kill something while you're trying to improve the planet. So the Cerritos crew stop and and double check the numbers while the Alito like drops its observation post and power generator and moves on without any fucks given. It's like the Alito doesn't even stop to consider like the very specific arguments against its position and like just does the broad general dumb idea of things yeah without thinking of the consequences and when people like criticize like the fundamental flaws in logic in the kind of choice that it has made it seems like unwilling to even reconsider its position right it kind of doubles down yeah in a way that ugly way That's kind of psychotic, actually. An ugly way where lives are at stake. Right. So uh, the next planet is a, quote, Brigadoon-type planet. Very funny. (laughs) Achmedic 9. 
the Cerritos doesn't even make it to this one in time, but I did love the little vignette of the two people waiting for the, <laughs> like, I guess they're sort of like a cargo cult. Yeah. Like the, the people of Achmenic Nine just like waiting for Starfleet to drop some shit off for them. Oh, this blows. It's taking forever. Just don't embarrass me, okay? You're the one who begged to come with me, all right? Do you think that dude that Jedzia Dax fell in love with, do you think he still got the candle lit for her? Yeah. I mean, Star Trek is full of sex candles, Adam. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm sure he does. Yeah. This interplay between the two Achmenics is hilarious. <laughs> I, I really like them. They have their own thing happening. They have their own episode happening within this episode. Yeah. They always say like when you're writing a screenplay, like every character should think that they're the main character of the story. Mm-hmm. And these people definitely think that they're the main characters of the story. But uh, the Cerritos is like pulling up when Achmenic 9 phases back out of the uh, plane of existence that we are in. <gasps> We're too you know, at this point, how Blaine of an amigo could you possibly be if you're laughing this maniacally? Scene bueno is yeah. how much. Oh, that is exactly right, my friend. Correcto <laughs> mundo. Yeah, the laugh of a very evil man. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. He seemed so Blaine on the surface. In the Cerritos bar, Tendi is having a huge bummer because she feels responsible for the slowdown that happened, making sure sentience wasn't possible in those microbes. That defeat hang is a real thing. Like the, Mm -hmm. we lost, let's like just fucking sit here and drink a beer. It's like after every live show we've ever done, that Mm -hmm. kind of vibe. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm sure that the people that paid good money to come to that live show are also feeling that right. way. Like, they, they're they just like, hey, man, you want to see if that dive around the corner is open? Like, I just kind of want to blow off some steam now. Hey, do you ever hear, like, an evil laugh <laughs> from another area of the venue? I mean, I know it's probably difficult to hear over, like, the super loud club music as we're loading out. <laughs> but I could swear I hear an evil laugh. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Like, it sounds distinctly like our friend slash agent. <laughs> but he wouldn't do anything evil. He would never. Freeman overhears Tandy's bum out, and this is an epiphany. If it was the right thing, why didn't the Alito slow down too? Huh? <laughs> You're right! She kind of puts it together, and then she dials up Buen Amigo immediately, and is like, look, man... I thought the Alito was supposed to care about life. Like, that's sort of your deal now. That's your whole identity. But by skipping over a major part of your mission, this is what we do. We're Starfleet. We had to stop to guarantee that we weren't hurting anyone, and you never did. You don't care about the people you hurt. If, if you didn't code in the Prime Directive, those aren't really Starfleet ships. Yeah. I'm sorry, Liz, but I have to take this to the council. And so she's having this conversation with him while... Rutherford is still worrying over this iPad full of code. Yeah. And he realizes that the code that is running on the Alito is the work of none other than Red Eye Rutherford. Yeah. And I guess it's also the code that like Badgie runs on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the same stuff. It's got the it's got the same potential for evil as Badgie. Yeah. No, a starship can't have daddy issues. On top of that, like the how central Buen Amigo is to the whole dark plot right right like right. Buen Amigo stole 
the ship ideas from Red Eye Rutherford. And wiped Rutherford's memory. Yeah. And like made it look like there was a, a horrible accident, so he had to have an implant put in. Mm-hmm. Very fucked up. Yeah. It explains the laugh though, right? Right. Yeah. Like the, the laugh kind of tracks now. Yeah. And I'm not talking about laugh tracks. I'm talking about it tracks story-wise. Now I get you. Do you think Shax's brother is named Trax? <laughs> yes. Like their parents do those cute names across all the siblings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then like uh, somebody would tell Shax's brother a joke that he didn't necessarily find funny and they'd say, laugh, Trax. <laughs> so Freeman is still on the FaceTime with Admiral Buenamigo when Rutherford like runs in to tell her about this diabolical twist he's uncovered. And Buenamigo goes full villain monologue where he's like admits that the like Deep Space Nine episode was his idea. Mm-hmm. He's been pulling the strings this whole season trying to discredit the Cali class, trying to find an opportunity. He knew the Breen were on Brecca and we're going to, you know, spring this trap on the Cerritos and it would be a perfect opportunity for him to show off just how disturbingly powerful Alito has become. How good is Rutherford in this scene? Because he's listening to Buen Amigo say all of this, but the main thrust of his argument is like, the badgy programming is dangerous. Do not turn it on. Like for the safety of everyone involved. Yeah. He almost doesn't even regard anything else Buen Amigo says. I really liked it. And I totally believe that Buen Amigo is like feeling like he is justified in this. Like he is not evil that thinks he's evil. He's like, I have a career to think about. I do feel like there is like a rationale for mm-hmm. a, a an automated ship system. And I mean, like he, he has played up a little bit cartoon villainy in this cartoon comedy show, but like the like times when a manager kind of runs roughshod over safety concerns because they are worried about, you know, making their quarterly quota right. or whatever, like totally like this is like where like most of the evil in the world actually comes from i feel like yeah and and that's it's wage theft it's wage exactly adam <laughs> this is what a an ideal futures equivalent of wage theft would look like you're better than this less i'm really not did you think he was willing to kill though this turn here at the end of the scene where Buen amigo is like all right well now that you're on to me I have now constructed a universe in which Captain Freeman becomes so irate about her circumstances that she attacks one of these drone ships. And in self-defense, these drone ships destroy the Cerritos, ostensibly killing everyone aboard. Well, conveniently, his goddaughter is not aboard. So I don't think he would have done it if Mariner had been there. You think? (laughs) That's a thing that they don't talk about at all in this episode. Is that like the Buen Amigo, like Buen Amigo is like really close with with Mariner's whole family. But like (laughs) he's a he's a fucking lunatic. But that's major crime, though, isn't it? You see it all the time. Like the the prime suspect and the eventual guilty party is often the family member or the close to the family person, right? Yeah, he's backed into a corner and this is the only way he gets out of it and keeps his his shiny uniform. So he uh, sets the Alito to fully independent mode and says, 
hey, the Cerritos is now under enemy control and you have to destroy it. I don't take orders from you anymore, father. What? It starts attacking the station. Alito, deactivate independence. I will burn your heart in a fire. One of the wishes I think we've always had watching Star Trek is like we've encountered these star bases for years and years, but we've never seen one in a battle scenario because their scope is so large. Your imagination takes off. Like, what would it be like? How would it defend itself? It's just got to be, there's no way to destroy one of these things. It's so huge. But as soon as you see these ships attack it and really damage it, it gets really scary really fast. It's super neat to see a starbase defend itself in all the ways that it can. But but it's also scary to see like people walking down hallways in these like little spindly yeah. towers on top of it and just get Th- sucked out into space. This is 10,000 shopping malls in a stack. Yeah. And it's slowly being carved out by these three ships. And it's also just nightmarish to me that like this was an opportunity to have the likenesses of Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison in this show get sucked out into space and it's like they didn't even think about it it really makes you wonder if this show is ever going to uh, make like an overt reference to a real person Mm -hmm. in either name or image right and like I just doubt they're ever going to do that I I don't think they would yeah yeah over in the Mariner's neck of the woods. She's uh, landed on Quaylor 3, the planet where you can get a slushy of anything. We'll bring you back a slushy. Hey, I'll bring you back too. I think we went here in season one and uh-huh. like they, they were talking about how you can get any drink in slushy form <sighs> on this planet. It's a planet I want to visit more than any. Yeah. Yeah. You still doing that uh, slushy walk with the dog every once in a while? I do do that every once in a while. Yeah. It's real nice. Also, I just discovered in this neighborhood, a venue that we should definitely play. It's like a good sized room for us here in LA and they have slushy pina coladas and Thai food, like really good Thai food. Oh my God. That sounds great. We should get our friend and agent on this idea. We got to do this. And, uh, I don't think they have an upstairs to book a dance club night. Perfect. Which has been a problem in LA. (laughs) So yeah, Petra's going to go deliver the uh, relics that they've been collecting. Mariner makes some excuse to stay back on the ship. And the second Petra walks off, she uh, gets on the computer to look up what the financing operation behind this thing looks like. And Petra walks right back on because obviously in a slushy beverage-based planet, you're going to have a buy 10, get one free punch card scenario. Yeah. And uh, she forgot her punch card. This would drive me nuts. I would definitely not walk around on Quail R3 without a punch card. I would fill up two punch cards in one day. These guys love a party. But then you're walking around every planet with a stack of punch cards. (laughs) Like, your pocket's all stuffed. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. I still have punch cards for coffee shops that I go to in New York sometimes. I threw out a bunch of punch cards during the last move. Man. Never going to use these. Yeah. Never going to complete the punch. One of the things that broke my heart was I had one that was so old that they were like, I don't like the people that were working there were like, this, we don't, this isn't what our punch card looks like. I've been a customer at this place for so long that this legit older kind of punch card is unknown to all of the people currently working here. Damn. Yeah. 
I mean, that's what corporations talk about when they talk about uh, like the brain drain. Yeah, yeah. All of that knowledge passed down. The, all of the just goes away. All of those slushy discounts ungiven to the most loyal customers. They turned you down. Yeah. What's so, it gonna hurt? What's it gonna hurt? <laughs> Uh, yeah. they, so Patrick catches her looking through the computer and this is like one of those things where you're like okay the, the reveal is going to be that Petra's evil because that's mm-hmm. what this is setting up and it like right. it's totally what Mariner was looking for when she got suspicious and it turns out Admiral Picard is financing Petra that guy loves mummies even more than you it's like she's horrified at how good the news is you know yeah yeah. It's a real reversal of expectations. She doesn't get to say, like, I'm disgusted with you and storm out. She gets to throw it in no one's face. Yeah. We should have seen it coming, though, with a last name like Admiral Picardine. Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. They do play a lot with names on this show. They do. Yeah. Names, name jokes. Uh-huh. <laughs> We need to score a lot of black fast. Licensed businessman. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. 
but do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. Back at the space station, the Van Sitters drops out of warp, another sovereign class to Oh. Oh, so we are naming things after real people. After real people, yeah. Huh. Yeah. I'm surprised that the Starbase didn't send out a message to the Van Sitters that just went unresponded to <laughs> for like months or years. Yeah. Cool that that the ship responded. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool that that they <laughs> that they came through with just anything. Not yeah. a, it didn't necessarily have to be a a yes, but mm-hmm. something would have been nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is no match for the Texas class. The Texas class tougher than the Sovereign class. Better looking than the Sovereign class. Ooh, hot take. Even the way they render it in lower decks. I mean, still the best it's ever looked. But yeah. Not a fan. Wow. It's getting its ass kicked, and Freeman is like, we've got to convince the Texans to come to California rather than the other way around. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the way she does this is by hailing the Alito and getting Rutherford on the screen. And Rutherford, she explains that Rutherford is the person that coded the Texas class code base and would have some ability to, I guess, undo that code. God, Rutherford almost blows it here. I do? Oh, yeah. You better stop attacking or you're done so. Yeah. Not great at improv is Rutherford. <laughs> he doesn't really yes and yeah. this plan. But the ship recognizes Rutherford, and that's, I think, what Freeman is banking on, right? Like, yeah. The ship recognizes him as a threat. It does facial recognition and shows like the picture of Red Eye Rutherford mm-hmm. next to... And uh, and so all three Texas class ships start chasing the Cerritos and they go to maximum warp and they're like really pushing the engines and, you know, it's it's touch and go and they're like trying to come up with a plan. They go to warp to draw the Texas class ships away. Right. Primarily. And um, they're going around the bridge. What what are we going to do about these three way more powerful ships chasing us? And. 
they kind of breeze past Shaxx's idea, but Boimler, who has been desperately trying to curry favor with Shax, like stands up in the middle of the bridge and makes everybody listens to Shax's idea because it's actually a good idea. It's, a, it's an idea that we've seen used in Starfleet before. It's the most explosive idea of all the ideas. And this is like an early Shax concept. This is a Shax callback. Yeah. He likes to make things go boom. He likes to eject the warp core. And uh, this is his big opportunity to do so. Mr. Shax, make it so. Really, Captain? He gets sort of uh, his his hero walk down to engineering to, uh, you know, turn the two, the, the matched set of keys with Billups to eject the warp core. Turn your keys, sir. It's so great how everyone is so congratulatory about him realizing a dream he's always had. Yeah, yeah. And the Chris Westlake score really does a lot of lifting here too. Like, And throughout the episode, yeah. does a great job in like bringing this moment to a head. The score on this, on this episode is really fucking great. Yeah. So they blow up two of the Texas class ships, but unfortunately, like as much as you wish the Alita would have a heart attack or, you know, be in a car crash or something, it survives the warp core explosion and is still way more than a match for the Cerritos. And uh, Mariner comes out of warp and her crappy ship. I mean, it's not crappy. I don't think Admiral Picard would have bankrolled something shitty. It's probably... I mean, for its size, but it's not... In a rental car parlance, I don't think this is the economy ship. It's it's probably mid-size or, or full-size. Right, but it can't even fuck with the Cerritos, and the no. Cerritos cannot fuck with the Alito. And this is the point that Freeman makes when Mariner's on the scene. Freeman is Mariner's mom primarily in this moment, and is right. like, get out of here, it's too dangerous. Yeah. She's like... You gotta get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she really is. <laughs> Come on. One of us was gonna do the Freeman voice at some point, right? <laughs> I'm I'm shocked it was me. I am baffled that this is how events have unfolded. Uh <laughs> the thing is, Mariner didn't come unprepared for a fight. No. Because the Oakland drops out of warp, and then all of the Cali class ships drop out of warp. The name checking is great here. Queen Mauritania, then Transylvania, Monaco, Liechtenstein, Malta, and Palestine, Fiji, Australia, Sudan. The name checking is great. We get an armada of Californias. We get a, how shall I put this? A cadre of Cali class captain callbacks. God, you're so good at this. <laughs> I'm so glad I get to see this in person. <laughs> Pretty much every Cali-class captain we've met gets a little moment. Not to put you on the spot, are you disappointed that a California-named thing wasn't named? Like, are there cities missing that you feel like... Well, I mean, a follow-up to my follow-up question... Do you think that they couldn't be too funny with the names intentionally? Right, because there's like... Some California cities that are so silly sounding that... Yeah, like yeah. Rancho Cucamonga right. and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, this is supposed to be all of the California class ships, right? I know. So I'm, I hope they're still commissioning these things in future seasons because I want the USS Rancho Cucamonga. Yeah, I, I I want the Tustin. Actually, the <laughs> Tustin's already been in an episode, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, about the USS City of Industry. That would be fun. Hell yeah. <laughs> There's also ones on the other side, like conquered california is yeah. just like a bunch of malls and suburban houses like mm-hmm. it's nothing but like the uss concord sounds kind of rad you it know? does yeah the uss lafayette sounds kind of rad same story yeah yeah a lot of options there i yeah. mean the list in the room is 50 names long it's pretty good and uh these cali classes team up and it basically takes all of them to take down the alito but in a very Star Trek movie kind of moment, and I'm like getting the chills thinking about this, but like when all of the ships team up and the score starts to swell yeah, and the tide starts to turn yeah, and a ship starts getting rocked by the good guys, yeah, it feels great. It's really fun. It feels better than Star Wars when that happens. And I can't really articulate why. Because it's the good guys. Not the filthy resistance. I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's all of the good parts of Star Trek teaming up. Yeah. In a really great way. Finally, justice may be served with the Alito out of the way, right? Like, inshallah. <laughs> uh, so, so back at Douglas Station, which is tore up yeah we're repairing the cerritos once again and like douglas station looks like a a can that was used in a just married kind of can (laughs) dragging scenario behind a car it looks bad do you think that they considered tiling out the warp core going into the cerritos i mean it is so suggestive they had to show it, though. They do. You got to show it going in. It's a butt joke. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. The betas apologize to Mariner for being sort of uh, not on her team in the way she needed them to be on her team when uh, she got kicked off the ship. We learned that Rutherford is uh, going to keep the implant. It robbed me of my memories, and it was used to cover up deadly crimes. But it's so cool! I'm still finding submenus I had no idea were in there. Yeah, I love how momentarily tormented he is by the decision. But ultimately, it's sort of like the iPhone dilemma. Like, God, the uh, circumstances surrounding its production are really terrible to think about the longer you think about them. But it's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Takes really good pictures. (laughs) I like that one of the things that seems to be persuading him to keep it is the predator cam function that it has. I thought for sure that when you see POV, it was suggesting that some people in the background may not be human, but I think it was a depth of ability there. Yeah. Because there's a swarthy bearded guy in the middle that does not show up to the heat sensor. And I was like, ooh, (laughs) what does that mean? But it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it means he's an android. Just means he's out of range, maybe. I don't know. Tendi is getting a cadet. Talin is going to work for Tendi. Yeah. Welcome back, T. Lin. That rules. That's uh, from the Three Ships episode, right? It is. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Shaq. 
brings Boims into the bear pack. Are you my bridge buddy? Absolutely, baby bear. Aw, bears. Pretty great. I want to be in the bear pack. Baby bear is taken, though. It's true, but like Rutherford's goodness is so apparent here because he's not envious at all. He's Yeah, he, he's, he doesn't feel possessive in any way of the nomenclature. If it were you or me, we would see Boimler being taken up in Shax's giant shoulders and be envious yeah. of that place and how safe and warm it has to feel. But Rutherford has like pretty big shoulders of his own. So yeah. yeah. He doesn't need that. He's doing fine. Yeah. He can self-hug. <sighs> the uh, button on the episode is Mariner talking to Freeman and sort of rededicating herself to her position in Starfleet. She gets reinstated. I like how subtly deep this moment is between Freeman and Mariner because the self-awareness of Mariner here is apparent and good in that she recognizes that like trust is extended to trustworthy people. Yeah. And the way that she's behaved has not been trustworthy. It's been uncool. Yeah. And so they both kind of recognize that as being the truth and are able to get past it. I like that the uh, that it ends on a joke about how how much of a pain in the ass this is going to be for Ransom. <laughs> yeah. Jack, Mariner's back on board and she's going to be your shadow. What? Thanks, no. Mom. I'm going to be at your side at all times. Commanding, do duty, responsibility. Why is this happening? Both Ransom and T. Lynn are going to have a lot in common next season. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Now, Adam, we talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about the idea of an after credits moment. Did you watch to the end of the credits in this episode? Holy shit, I didn't. Okay, well, let's watch it together because uh, I I forgot to write down notes about it, and I it's, can I make a guess? It's momentous. Okay, yeah, let's let's. You does it have to? It? Does it have to do with the other Boimler and the Section Thirty One thing? It does not. That was going to be my guess. Okay, I'm ready to be surprised. Surprise, motherfucker. I can't believe I didn't watch to the end. And the reason why is because these screeners have had temp credits yeah. for so long. Yeah, and, and these in particular have these like titmouse like mm-hmm. slates about like what format they mixed it down in. All right, I'm just queuing this up on my TV. We're gonna You're going to hear this live from the position... I'm going to turn it down a little bit so it doesn't mess up our, our audio. Here we go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So what we just watched was something that I think, I don't remember if it was you or me, but one of us predicted that yeah. the the Rutherford implant floating in the Kala system that we saw earlier this season was going to get collected. I liked seeing Rutherford's old implant floating out there. I kind of wonder <laughs> if the fact that that implant is intact and floating in space will factor into another future episode. I mean... It may have been picked up by the Drukmani, right? We don't know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Drukmani could be wise to whatever's going on with Rutherford before we are. Right. We can't see whose beam that is, but it looks like the Drukmani scavenger beam, doesn't it? It sure does. And the uh, badgy 
appears on the eyepiece of Rutherford's lost implant at the end of this episode. The potential being the fourth season heavy could be Badgie. Yeah. Amazing. The Wrath of Badgie. (laughs) I mean, this being season three of Lower Decks, there's been a lot of visual metaphor with the third Star Trek movie. Yeah. The fourth Star Trek movie being The Voyage Home. They always do the the poster for each season as a a riff on the poster from the corresponding movie. Are we going to get time travel elements? Time travel. Involving Badgie? Wow. I mean, that could... We've heard that a couple of these characters are going to appear on Strange New Worlds, and that could be a time travel story that ties both series together. That would be an elegant way to to do it. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to uh, see season four. But I guess we, before we uh, get too far afield in the future, Adam, we should talk about whether or not we liked this episode of season three. How about you? The only way that I did not like this episode is the knowledge that it ends the season (laughs) and we're waiting again for the next. I have minced no words about how much I love Lower Decks as a concept. The miracle that it exists at all is something I'm grateful for. Yeah, It hits every time for me. And a nice conclusion, a neat conclusion to a season that seems unusual for Lower Decks or any Star Trek season, really. Yeah. I mean, outside of the the post-credit sequence I just saw, I wouldn't consider that a cliff to hang off of. It's just kind of a, a glimpse into uh, another area of the story. But yeah, I love the episode. I thought it was a great season. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will miss it while it's gone, but plenty of new Star Trek is on the way to yeah. fill the gap. What about you? I'd say if I have one note, it's the the it's the name of the sovereign class ship that uh, that comes in and <laughs> and does not save the day. Uh, <laughs> no, it's there was something about the mechanics of this episode that felt a lot like the previous episode. I think it was just that there were three very overpowered ships chasing the Cerritos in both episodes. You know, in the last episode, it was Breen's. And in this episode, it was the Texas class ships gone haywire. But um, yeah, why not give us a fourth ship or have it just be one Texas class ship that is so powerful or whatever, you know, like Texas is supposed to be bigger. Yeah. Maybe why, there's a mega Texas. Why is the Texas class ship so much littler than the Cerritos? Yeah. Make it really big. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Texans are going to be pissed about this. That that the whole series has made a joke of their state. (laughs) Yeah, they don't take kindly to that, do they? No, no. The stars at night are small and bright. Who's grieving Buen Amigo at the end of this season? Mm. Friend of the family. Yeah. Double cross. You would think that we would get a scene with uh, with the Freeman slash Mariner family talking about how we trusted this man for a long time. We trusted him so much that we made him the godfather of our one child. Yikes. Fuck. Yeah. Talk about your all-time misreads of character. Maybe they'd just rather not talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's how families are supposed to function, right? <laughs> In the aftermath of a trauma. I found that that works great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Ben, something that is rarely traumatic is the reading of a priority one message. You want to go see what we've got yeah, that over real there? Nice. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, no Priority One messages on today's show, which is fine. It's a surprise special episode in the middle of a day that wouldn't otherwise have one. But uh, if you'd like to get a P1 on the show, uh, we've got the exciting review of a bunch of Star Trek Prodigy episodes coming right up. And uh, we'd sure like to read your message. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message over there at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Definitional Larkins seem obvious, and I don't like to always call them out, but like Buen Amigo is my Larkin. He's the guy with the crazy idea, uh, a pseudo genius. Yeah. Someone who lets his appetite for careerism overshadow a morality that admirals should have, but so rarely do in Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> so Somebody should check that guy for nubbins. Like, yeah, like a Larkin being suffocated to death on a ship being quickly filled with tribbles yeah. and, and their fur. Yeah, I mean, Buen Amigo eats it like Larkin does. He gets yeah. killed by his own creation, and that's why he's my Edward Larkin. What about you? He's mine as well. I was just thinking about how long he had this plan in the works. Like his his justification is like when you become an admiral, like your your career kind of plateaus and there's nothing to do. There's no way to like work your way up any further. As if someone could be bored by a new starship program. Right. Like that's really cool. But like when you go to the flashback of young Buen Amigo erasing Rutherford, I think he's like a lieutenant commander in that. He was evil a long time ago. Yeah, he was like getting stuck in the Admiralty was not a problem for that guy. Yeah, yeah. Like that guy was still working his way up toward being an admiral. It's almost as if promotion and job advancement doesn't fix all of the broken things inside a person. I'm pretty sure they would fix the broken things inside me, though. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, yeah. You, should, you should try that then. You should try being successful. Eh, never mind. It sounds really hard. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Buen Amigo is also my Edward Larkin. Ben, it's time for the new hit segment that has a name. Yeah, it's got a name. I've decided <laughs> what the name is. I haven't consulted with you about it. Huh. Because we were like talking about maybe having a poll. Yeah. Soliciting ideas. We did. Uh-huh. There was a poll. Yeah. I'm not choosing what what the people have chosen though. <laughs> okay, the results are in. <laughs> yeah, I think a great idea would be to call these nice things that people say to us warning boys. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning boys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. <laughs> because that anyone could be this enthusiastic about our show, I think really demonstrates <laughs> something to worry about. Yeah, sure. In the message center. Right. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, most of the time they're just sincere recommendations of the show, but, uh, you know, depending on who you are reading that, if you're uninitiated, it can be like, woo. Yeah. <laughs> there, but for the grace. 
Sure don't want to become like that person. <laughs> so yeah, what do you say we we try this name of the segment on for size and see if it sticks? Okay, well, uh, you're going to feel really bad when I read you the, the message that uh, we got today. Because <laughs> this is from Instagram, at Darius415 said, In August, my mother passed away. It's been a month, and I'm still not okay. There are a lot of thoughts and sadness in my head right now. I'm not doing so great, and accepting that I don't have to be amazing and happy right now is just something I have to accept. That said, I had a moment of happiness today. A podcast I love, Greatest Trek, sent me a Captain Janeway Star Trek Voyager patch for supporting their program. It's the little moments that I need to learn to cherish and appreciate. That is all. Thank you. Boy, if you had just ended that message with, I don't have to be happy today, and that's <laughs> and that's the message about our show, that seems more believable. But as it is, wow. Yeah. Darius, I'm so, so sorry to hear about the passing of your mother, and definitely take all the time you need to, uh, to learn to live with that, and we're going to be here for you every week. Uh, we love you tons, bud. Jeez, man. You're a real asshole, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to uh, choose a different name for Distress Bois. <laughs> is it Distress Bois or Warning Bois? It's it's Warning Bois. <laughs> it is. But I'm feeling some distress yeah. about how this segment went today. Yeah, yeah. This is a bad day to choose a name. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, we are going to be uh, tossing the keys this episode off to our producer, Wendy Pretty, who uh, will tell you about next week's episode. We're going to be back on, uh, it's still season one of Star Trek Rodigy. Yeah, took like a, the only new Star Trek series that does 26 episode seasons, the way Star Trek used to do. Yeah. That's yeah. the way my Star Trek did seasons. So Star Trek Prodigy is the only one that is currently our Star Trek all of these other ones are not my Star Trek, but uh, we're going to be back doing it. And um, you know, Bad opinion Star Trek guy just happens to sound like Bill Maher. Because <laughs> I only know four impressions, okay? <laughs> we're going to be back on that. I... Uh... I heard from Wendy that the uh, the next several episodes are really fun, so I'm, right. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I trust her judgment. Yeah. In all areas, aside from uh, choosing a career. <laughs> <laughs> uh, take it away, Wendy. <laughs> Not taking career advice from Wendy. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We'll be back next week on Tuesday with a review of Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 11. It's called Asylum. At the edge of Federation space, the crew applies for asylum at Deep Space 13, only for their starship to reveal its shocking true purpose. As always, we want to thank Adam Ragusia for all of the original music that we use on this show. You can find his podcast and YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusia. Thank you as well to Bill Tilly, who manages the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter, and use the hashtag Greatest Trek to talk about the show online. We appreciate your ratings and reviews, and also your recommendations to people that you know. We also really appreciate the members who are supporting the show at MaximumFun.org join. Thanks for listening. 
We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Why do you sound so weird, frog asked throat? <laughs> because I am sad. Mm. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.